For years, I have done jokes about my tough army older brother. And in a few minutes, you're going to realize that those jokes were not that much of an exaggeration. Today on Tom Rhodes Radio, I present to you my older brother, John Rhodes. My brother John and I disagree on just about everything political, uh, which is why my mother implemented the no politics, no religion discussion rule at the dinner table, because John and I always have a tendency to get loud with each other when we talk about these things. My brother is built like a truck. He's always been bigger than me. He's very muscular. He's always kicked my ass. And it's funny, even to this day, he's not opposed to body slamming me. It happened a few months ago. I said something out of line and he picked me up and body slammed me. He has no problem showing me uh, that he can still uh, rough me up whenever he wanted to. My brother, John, is a true American badass. He fought in Iraq and Afghanistan. And honestly, he's the guy you would want standing next to you in a fight, in a war, or as I learned, during an Argentinian soccer riot. That story will be revealed later in this episode. My brother John uh, has an amazing way of getting things done. He's always very efficient. He's a true leader of men. He's one of my greatest heroes in life. He's been there for me through all the ups and downs. Uh, and I think he's one of the funniest people I've ever known in my life. And I've known a lot of funny people. John can be funny even when he's not trying to be funny because he's so stern and so strict in uh, the way he looks at things. And it, it, it cracks me up, even though he and I are worlds apart uh, ideologically and politically. But I love him. He's the quintessential older brother. He's my older brother. And uh, he does the most loving thing for me. Uh, in the last couple of years, since uh, he got an iPhone, he'll leave these voice memo joke ideas for me. He'll, uh, he's, he's, he sent me a bunch of them, uh, a few dozen and sprinkled throughout this episode. I put some of the best voice memo, brother John joke ideas sprinkled throughout this conversation. Uh, this is kind of a long episode, but I think you're going to enjoy every drop of it. And I think you're really going to enjoy getting to know, uh, one of the closest people to me in my life, uh, Consider this a lesson in human greatness from my older brother, John Rhodes. Hey, if you like my podcast and you want to show your support, please go to Amazon or iTunes and buy my live comedy recordings. And come see me live when I perform in your city. Shalom, amigo. Enjoy the show. My big brother, John Rhodes. I think uh, the best place to start with you is, um, what am I doing wrong and why do you think I'm such a faggot? (laughs) Where do I begin with that one? No, you are a homo, that's for sure. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, but seriously, before we get uh, started, let me just say this. Very proud of my little brother. And his 25 years of brilliance on the road. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm Tom Rhodes' biggest fan. Uh, but I'm just not going to sit there and kiss your ass about it, okay? I've, been to, I've seen you in probably 15, 20 states. I've seen you in Amsterdam. There's no person uh, in 
in your life that has seen you more in concert uh, performing and uh, I get nervous for you every time it's like uh, same thing as seeing you in Little League go up there I just want you to go up there and make contact with the fucking ball and uh, 25 years you've been making contact so it's uh, it's nice <clears throat> Uh, and, uh, um, should we go right into the endurance summer? No, I should tell the people out there that you were born to be a comedy diva. (laughs) (laughs) You see, we grew up in a tough household, Tom. You were slightly coddled in a tough household. (laughs) True. That's right. You take away the toughness of the household... You and your life partner are designing clothes. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. So you decided uh, that I was get a little girly, and you were worried that um, I might turn out to be a little sensitive, or I don't know what, and um, you decided to inflict as much pain on me as you possibly could on this entire summer, and you called it the endurance summer. And I remember you would pull the smalls and the the small hairs on the back of my neck, and you'd be sitting on top of me, and you'd go. Endure, endure, while you like did like wretchedly painful things to me. <coughs> that's that's funny, you know. And when you know the longer time goes on, I'm sure everybody has their little skewed memories of everything, especially when you're a little <laughs> punk ass bitch uh, and you're um, you're getting your hair pulled by your big brother and I'm farting in your face and stuff. You know. That's what I was going to say. I had to, you know, you thought that was the funniest thing and your friends thought it was the funniest thing in the world when you sat on my chest and farted in my face. It, it, it never disappointed to get a laugh. <laughs> let's just say that. Well, first of all, let's, let's set the record straight. Let's get the folks all caught up with the growing up with little Tommy, my little brother. Cute little kid, slightly coddled, as we uh, said in the beginning. Uh, my older brother Dave and I were two years apart, and Tom was three years behind me. So uh, I got uh, punk-ass bitches on both sides of me, you know. And, and uh, so I, I guess I it turned out the toughest because I had two guys to fight, which is nice. <laughs> I appreciate your help with that. But <clears throat> you had a, a growing up, you were cute and really didn't bother anybody until you were old enough to kind of um, tattletale us out. And obviously, with two brothers, three and five years older than you, you had to devise a brilliant strategy. And the strategy was to blame stuff on your older brothers. The... the um, the lamp was broken. John did it. The uh, normally you guys did do it because you guys were you and Dave were constantly fighting and breaking shit. Yeah, we did do stuff, but some of the things in which we never got mad about that. The things we got mad about is when you broke something uh, and and blamed it on us brilliantly. I might say so. I'm not. If you really step back and think of the strategy, you had no bullets in your gun. You couldn't physically overcome uh, either one of us. Uh, and I, uh, you know, two years younger than my older brother, was able to handle him uh, evenly, if not beat him, until he hit puberty two years ahead of me, and, and I had my own endurance summer. <coughs> but <coughs> so they came up with, you know, Tom came up with the the tattletale strategy, very brilliant, <laughs> just brilliant. Except for one year, our dad got a job. 
as a traveling salesman, meaning that he only came home on the weekends. He, he was in the next state over. And it was right, you know, I think I was like 15 and Tom's 12, you know. And so it's just at your height of, you know, you don't want to take any shit from your... Um, from anybody, because you're already like a freshman in high school, and the seniors are, are trying to dunk you in the toilet and all this stuff. So you come home, and you got a little tattletale uh, going on. So uh, then during summer, you know, we would, uh, you know, um, slap Tom around. It really wasn't that fun because, you know, that's why you had to interject the farting because, you know, it wasn't that fun because, you know, of the age difference. <clears throat> so... But then uh, when Dad would come home and whatever Tom did would get blamed on us. And then we'd get our asses whooped for two days. So I said to Tom, I said, hey, bro, you are just (laughs) freaking missing the numbers game here, dude. Five days a week. I got your ass five days a week. You may get me two days and be sitting back with your funny little quirky smile. And uh, and enjoy yourself for two days, but for five days, I am faster than you. I know where your friends live. I'll fucking get you. So for one summer, uh, I freaking pulled Tom's hair and whooped the shit out of him to show him that it was going to be more painful to rat me out for those two days uh, than than the fun of it. So and I think after that summer. I don't think we had any troubles. Never had any problems after that. And then the other thing is, you thought I was like really girly, and I remember by the end of the summer, you could not, not girly. But well, you, you could you could get a little tougher. Not, not you girly. thought you thought I needed to toughen up. Yeah. And by the end of the summer, you could inflict excruciating pain on me, and I wouldn't cry. That was beautiful. I was so proud. It was, <laughs> it was just awesome. Uh, yeah, because at the beginning, you like you were like you know. Any little thing, you're like crying. I'm like, come on, man. Come on, Sally. Toughen up. But I think it's funny. Like, mom, <coughs> ingenious thing that mom did, and I don't know what, maybe it was Red Book or some woman's magazine, had these books, these children's books, and mom kept one on each one of the children, and it's like first words and like how they are, like at six months and like the first yeah, the baby books. three to five years, these, these wonderful white baby books that we've had forever. And it's really great, like, uh, she pulled them out recently, and we're reading through them, and you, at four, five years old, says, he doesn't take any crap from our older brother Dave, he stands his own, uh, and, 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 and punches it out, uh, toe-to-toe with anybody, and it says, he usually can convince Tom very easy to go along with whatever he wants to do. <laughs> So I think it's remarkable that at like four or five years old, your entire personality is laid out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to tell the people about the Taco Bell packets? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. <clears throat> I have you to thank for my love of spicy food. Yes, we're on the, you're welcome. We're on some vacation and we're driving in the back seat, and Dad was pissed off about something and he didn't want to stop. And <coughs> there was a, a hot sauce Taco Bell packet. And you told me it was candy and to suck on it. <laughs> and I sucked oh, on it. And so my good. mouth was on fire. But Dad wasn't going to stop. Dad was pissed and he wasn't going to stop. And my lips were just like throbbing <laughs> with numb pain. I was throbbing from laughing. And so you were peeing. <laughs> uh, but, but to this day, I like spicy food, so I have to thank you. You're welcome. I do remember one thing in the backseat I would say to you. Because 
you were always like a genius about knowing all the capitals. And I would ask you, and you were like always, oh, hey, Kuzmi, Kuzmi, Kuzmi. And I did learn the funny thing from you that uh, if you don't know a, a country's capital, just go city. Like if it's Kuwait, yeah, Kuwait Kuwait City. Yeah. Guatemala City. <clears throat> Mexico City. You're usually yeah. going to be right. Which are three exactly the right ones? Uh, but I would ask you, I would say, what's the capital of Thailand? <laughs> and I would punch you in the balls and go, Bangkok! <laughs> That was a good one. Oh, that was great. Yeah, good fun. Good family. Good fun. Good family. Punching each other in the balls. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so many significant things. Um, in Florida, many years ago, when you got your driver's license, they gave you a pink slip in case you lost it, and you brought this pink slip in, and you got a new license in case you lost it, and you. I was 17, I just started No Comedy, you quizzed me like it was a university exam, and you made me prepare, prepare for like a couple of months, and I got my picture taken on your Florida license, and it was flawless, and I got to be in clubs for, yeah. I got to jump on my comedy career. <clears throat> yeah, you were in high school, I, uh, I enjoyed it because the, the comedy club was in, it was the back room of the hottest club in town, and uh, you know, I was a year or two into drinking, uh, going out, and... You know, it's a big meat market there. Lots of uh, big-haired ladies <clears throat> looking for... Uh, the upside-down margarita chair. <coughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Jeez. That's exactly How right. Florida is that? Yeah. And then there's my little uh, high school brother uh, in the back uh, doing comedy. And then when the comedy club let out, it was a good, uh, jovial group of folks that were... Uh, half drunk that that uh, made their way into the club. So, Meat market. Right. Of course, the downside of that story was that uh, I got pulled over by the police, and uh, they they said, "Hey, Mr. Rhodes, your license is suspended." And I said, "Well, officer, I've never got pulled over. You know, I obviously I had a tail light out, and thank you for telling me this. Uh, but uh, I have had no tickets in my life." So I, I can't have a suspended license because he said it was for a ticket. And I said, no, no, I've never got a ticket. Sorry. And, you know, I, I'm, obviously it was very convincing because I had never got a ticket. And then the guy said, well, here's your license back. We've been having some troubles with the computer. So have a nice day. Get your taillight fixed. I said, thank you, officer. Have a good day. I, I even told him I'll go to the station with you. I do not have a ticket. And I got home and I was thinking... Wait a minute. Tom's got my license. That little <laughs> asshole. So, I'm, you know, it's not the fact that you got the ticket that bothered me. It's the fact that did you, you didn't pay it. Would you want to speak to that and tell the people out in podcast land why you didn't pay the fucking ticket? I don't think you should hold on to the negative. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was an idiot. I don't know yeah, what happened. Yeah. Like, bad news is going to get better with time. If you hide behind the couch like you did when you were seven, nobody will find out you got a ticket. Hey, guys, let me help you real quick. Sometimes in, during this show, we give out public service announcements. Let me help you guys real quick. This, is, this section is called bathroom or urinal etiquette. You may be the first person that goes into the bathroom, and you may think you do your business fairly quickly, but when given the choice, when you have three urinals, do not pick the middle one. That gives 
the guy who follows you into the bathroom by 10 seconds nowhere to pee but next to you. So, from here on out, if we could all come together and pick the left or right urinal. See how simple this is? I remember you had, uh, you worked at Disney and uh, you let me take your car a bunch um, when I first started driving. <laughs> um, you always helped me out. You were always a great big brother. <laughs> yeah, well, I, the funniest thing I used to do uh, to you is I'd uh, have these waiter jobs or whatever, so I'd make you iron my shirt. You oh my god, that? yeah, for a dollar. Yeah, for a dollar. So for a dollar. Yeah, You'd give which me a was dollar, big. Dollar. Nineteen eighty. When you're a teenager and you have no yeah. other source of income. Yeah. Yeah, I was a waiter, so uh, I'd make Tom iron my shirts, and then he would do a suck ass job. So I'd say, "Hey, bro, you ain't getting a dollar for that bullshit wrinkly ass shirt." And uh, and I showed you how to iron the shit and uh, a few times probably and um, you you got it right and then then you say hey give me an extra dollar I said okay I always say okay but I wouldn't give it to you because that'd be too easy I would put it on the hood of my car and I would drive off do you remember that yeah and then, <laughs> then you'd have to go in the street and pick up the dollar <laughs> that's some shit. <laughs> It, well, I think it was very helpful that I ironed your shirts for a dollar because as a comedian, uh, I've always ironed my shirts and gotten ready for shows and stuff. I think you really helped me out that way. Yeah, spicy food and ironing. That's two. <laughs> there we go. And uh, a couple year head start on your comedy career. You're welcome. Um, now, we, we were, our family's from Washington, D.C. Um, we were all born there. And then we lived for a short period in Wilmington, North Carolina, on our way to Florida. And you went to high school with Michael Jordan. Yeah, a couple of years. Yeah. Wow. What was that like? Knowing greatness. Could you? <laughs> did you? <laughs> well, it's a funny story. Funny, you should say, Tom. Funny story. Because in my life, I've tried to be, you know, as tough as I could be, but you know, kind of a positive. You know, I want to think the best of people, but. The one time in my life I thought negatively about someone was about Michael Jordan. Because him and the basketball players, they would go around and they always had a basketball with them. I thought that was odd. You know, walk around. You know, I'm carrying books. This guy's carrying a freaking basketball. And they're saying, hey, you know, we got a game Thursday, whatever. And they just always were, you know, bothering people to, you know, I guess the coach told them the. Go recruit some some people. Big game versus uh, whatever the rival school was or whatever. New Bern. New Bern or um, no? Uh, no, it wasn't New Bern. It was uh, Hanover. Hanover. Anyway, so <clears throat> um, anyway, so I remember clearly, and I told Tom this story. That's why I'm telling this story. I remember clearly saying. That some bitch ain't never gonna amount to nothing. <laughs> Think about that, Michael Jordan. I said that. That some bitch ain't never gonna amount to nothing. I've said that one time in my life. I'm 16. You're, you know, 15, 16 years old. About one guy. This is how spot on I've been. Right. But I got the ironing thing right. So. Well, it's pretty funny. And now Michael Jordan's sons go to UCF. Your former alumni. Yeah. They play for the basketball team. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and uh, I'm on a bunch of committees out there, so I actually know Marcus Jordan fairly well, and he's a nice guy. I told him, you know, I knew his dad, and 
curious. And then our older brother uh, played football with him. So <clears throat> I'd be uh, curious if you remembered the Rhodes clan. Because we, uh, I saw Michael Jordan when we moved to Florida. Uh, our class, Michael Jordan's class and my class, uh, they, they took the senior trip and Michael Jordan was on it. And uh, I saw him at a skating rink in Orlando, Florida in 1980. Wow. 81, whatever it was. Um, <clears throat> what other, um, I, I, I do remember in, in Wilmington when we lived there, um, we accidentally left you at the waterslide park. And uh, boy, you were pissed when we came back and got you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in our parents' defense, <laughs> you know, I guess it's not cool to, you don't freaking count the kids before you drive off from the water park. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, me and uh, uh, probably Dave or whoever were trying to get an, uh, you know, an extra slide in on the, you going down the little slides with the, you got the little mat and you wait in line and whatever. And that was a period where our, our three cousins came and lived with us. So the, the, we had the four kids, the three cousins, two parents, and probably a couple friends. You know, like 10 kids. It was like 10 kids in a country squire station wagon because you could pack. You know how many kids you can pack in a. Country? I love that country squire station wagon. It had the little back seat and the way back. Yeah. You could get two kids in the way back. Do you know how many <coughs> kids you can get into a country squire station uh-uh. wagon, Tom? Uh-huh. One more. <laughs> <laughs> it's always one more. It's like ten kids in there. You're like, wow, they're stacked like cordwood in there. What are, the, are some of your other <coughs> uh, best memories from childhood? I remember when we lived in Wilmington, <laughs> you and I watched Rocky like a thousand times on HBO, and we decided we could be heavyweight champions of the world, and we joined a boxing gym. Downtown Wilmington, North Carolina. We were in the... Uh, Golden Gloves program, silver gloves, golden gloves, something like that. There, there was a... Junior gold gloves, I think. I think it was golden gloves, like, of the program. Anyway, but okay. the, the the boxing guy won the bronze medal. He's like a wel- little guy, welterweight, whatever it was, you know, 140-pound guy. Anyway, so we went in there and, uh, you know, tussled it up with some inner city kids every day. I remember... Uh, you know, that was my first experience with, like, adult men that were, that were not positive. <laughs> I'm just saying, our dad was kind of a, yelled at us and kicked us around a little bit. But what I just, I just, it wasn't like a father figure that there was just kind of negative asshole <laughs> fighter dudes, you know. Hey, kid, what are you doing? You know what, girls, you know, telling you, yeah, giving me their girl advice. You're like, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, wow. You smell like beer, sir. <laughs> Thank God I don't fight in your heavyweight division. I, I, I do remember the guy telling me that if you put cologne on your dick, dick yeah, a yeah. girl would eat it up. Yeah, and like, yeah. I was like, I'm like, I'm like 11. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like 14, oh and the guy's telling me to spray cologne on my cock. Thank you. I put <laughs> cologne on my penis once, and it burned like the fucking hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, hey, thanks. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's the one thing I got out of it. So what are some of your other best memories from childhood? Uh, I don't know. I think we were just, I was kind of in survival mode. You know, our dad was uh, a little disappointing because he's, you know, generally could be a good guy. But then he just 
go off and, and call you all kinds of names and, and whoop your ass if you did something wrong or whatever. So you just kind of didn't know where you stood. If, if uh, so, so I was, uh, you know, I, I always think it's funny in your comedy uh, show. Everybody just gets a hoot out of that uh, air conditioner story. You know, we, uh, <laughs> we we moved to Florida and everything. We settled here for good, thank God. And and um, you know, the hundred degree. You, you know, your joke is our dad had a hundred degree rule in in July in Florida. It teeters around ninety eight, ninety nine. But that was a real rule. Yeah. You know, so every time people are howling with laughter and, <laughs> and you know Down syndrome, we're laying on the floor. I mean, literally, it was hot, right? These wife's trash kid, the Rhodes kids. These white trash kids in an upper middle class neighborhood, really in Oviedo, Florida, sleepy little sister's village, right? <laughs> in an upper class neighborhood, upper middle, not not so fancy, but just still solid middle class people. We would walk around with just shorts, no shoes, no shirt, just because we're trying to get cool because this fucking guy <clears throat> wouldn't turn on the AC unless it hit 100. That's funny. And that joke's... Um, Every time I'm in the back going, motherfuckers. That joke's been a classic for me. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, we had different... Uh, Dad was definitely a lot harder on you than he was on me. Yeah, and, um, he, and he admitted that, so... Certainly. And, um, and and growing up in Oviedo, walking around barefoot was great, man. There was fruit trees everywhere. Uh, God, there was orange groves everywhere. Yeah, we had uh, orange fights. You just don't pick them off the tree. You can pick the ones on the ground and... Like a snowball fight. Just pick we do shirts up. versus no shirts and go out there and just throw oranges at each other. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, top notch. They'd leave big welts. <clears throat> big welts. So I've done tons of jokes about you, about tough army guy brother. Uh, I've, I've done some great stuff about you, about, um, you know, the Iraqi people. You doing to them like you did to me. and Hit them with the hot wheel track. Sitting on their chest and farting in their face. I did that to an Iraqi guy. Did you? <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding. So, uh, you know, that how was did, after I, I mean, shot him. Whoops. How did you um, <coughs> become thick, muscular football army guy and me sensitive showbiz guy? Artsy fartsy. Well, you were born to be a diva. You were slightly coddled. I was not coddled. <laughs> so that's, uh, I think that was the tipping point, the coddling. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, being in the middle, you know, you got to be tougher. And then uh, I uh, just through accident of birth grew bigger than you people. And uh, that helps to whoop some ass. And, uh, uh, and then I, uh, you know, Oviedo is like a great town to be in nowadays. Once they built the loop around the city, the big highway, for those of you that don't know Florida... <clears throat> used to be, if you said you were from Oviedo, they would say, is that your tractor parked out front? Whereas now, if you say, oh, where'd you go to high school? Oviedo High School. Oh, wow. Man, that's a nice town. You know, it was one stoplight. They still have chickens that walk downtown. The Oviedo Chickens. Oviedo Chickens. World famous. Anyway, <clears throat> the number one celery-producing town on the planet, Oviedo, Florida. Well, anyway, 
So I joined the army to get the hell out of that place because it was so, you know, I broke a freaking mailbox. I'm sorry, you know, 11th grade, you know. I'm, I'm an asshole 15 years later, you know. So, uh, I don't know, I just, uh, I uh, got in fights pretty much my whole life. I think that, that, that helps, being angry, being an angry kid. That helps. You were an angry kid. I was angry. You were an angry kid. <laughs> I was angry. Yeah, I was angry. I'm, I wasn't happy. I'm glad you liked me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, pulling your hair was Could have been a lot worse for me. It was the least of your Could have been a lot worse for me had you not liked me. <clears throat> Why don't you tell him a, mm, that Kenneth story back in elementary school? Oh, my God. Well, that's... Uh, well, that, you know, there, there was a story like that, and then there was a story, similar story like when you were going to UCF. Um, no, I'll tell that later. The, there was one time when, uh, when we, we were living in Silver Spring, Maryland, right outside of D.C., and it was uh, Oakview Elementary School, and it was the one time you and I were, I guess you were like in fifth or sixth grade. I was in fourth grade. And I was in kindergarten. Dave was in sixth grade. It was The one time we all were in the same school. Yeah. The brothers. And... Um, I used to come get you every day. I remember the... School let out, or it was recess, or lunch, or something. So our I don't brother, remember the time. I just our remember. brothers in the sixth grade. I'm in the fourth grade. Tom's in kindergarten, and there's a sixth grade bully that was probably fifty pounds heavier than everybody. Kenneth. I remember walking out and to the the, the backside of the school. There's some commotions going on, and you know, and you're like kindergarten mind. It's like. Thousands and thousands of people. I mean, but it was like it seemed like the entire school. How was, was there no teachers around? There were no teachers during this, and event. like honestly, uh, had, and like had to been a couple hundred, couple kids. hundred kids. It was uh, it, it was a, a heavyweight championship um, fight happening thing, and I go out there. And there's a oh my god, there's a fight, and then whatever little well, kid just to I, let you know, the Kenneth had said some shit to me, and I said, hey, I, I ain't that guy. You can, you can bully up on somebody else, dude. And he's like, well, I'll meet you after school. I said, okay, where you want to meet? He said, out there in the playground. I said, I'll be there. And the dude was like 50 pounds heavier than me and two grades higher. Continue. So we go, there's a fight. There's something going on. And we start running over there. And there's this one kid is beating the living shit out of this other kid. And just there's hundreds of kids are watching and cheering them on. And, you know, like, we're the littlest kids in the school. You know, we, like, we're breaking through, pushing past people's knees and get to the... Uh, well, actually, it was like... I think it was so much action in the fight that it was, you He's know... Spilling down the hill. Lots yeah. of rolling yeah. around and pa- around the hill. And yeah. uh, the, the center of activity was changing. <laughs> but um, I thought, I see, oh, my God, that's my brother beating the living shit out of that guy. Yeah, everybody was happy because uh, because the guy was you know one, you know just a typical bully kid that just would push people into lockers as he walked down and all that shit. But he pushed me and I was like, hey, bro, I ain't that guy. He ain't, he ain't pushing me. He's like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, really. And then my brother Dave. This is the funniest. Or our brother Dave, sorry, uh, <clears throat> would tell that kid who's in the same class as him. Don't mess with me or I'll get my little brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I remember once you, you were going to UCF and uh, you invited me to a Sigma Chi party. And I was talking to this really hot girl. Oh, yeah, I remember in that. In the kitchen. Yeah. And then there's a fight outside and you come rolling up 
and you were beating the shit out of this guy. And I was like, I had a drink, and I just like, eh, that's my brother. You know, I'm like casually talking to a girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was probably the enforcer of that fraternity. Just, you know, you have a you have a party, it's just the fraternity and their guests, which are usually mostly girls that are invited, a couple of brothers and a friend here too that you're trying to recruit for the next semester, but mostly you just want girls and when a stray dude sees a nice uh, party going on with a uh, bunch of hot chicks, they tend to want to come in the party. And there usually has to be somebody that tells them, Hey, dude, we'll see you next semester at Rush if you want to (laughs) join. Right now, you didn't make the cut. So you got to go. So that guy uh, didn't want to... He wanted to see some girl. We're like, no, you're out. Hmm. So we had to explain it to him. Fist high. Sometimes people don't listen. Um... They had a boxing championship. I, uh, uh, although our early boxing career was not successful, I was the two-time heavyweight champion of UCF. How about that? Two-time heavyweight champion of UCF. Mm-hmm. And the best uh, video of all time is the one that Dad uh, videoed, and the guy, uh, uh, he got, uh, we're in the fight, and the guy... Tackles me, right? This is, this is a funny story. The guy tackles me, and he, later I find out that he said if he's getting hit, he's going to tackle it because he really doesn't want to um, get hurt, right? So he uh, tackles me, and the guy, the instructor, whatever, the referee didn't know what to do. So, and after the fight, everyone said, oh my God, you were like Babe Ruth. You were calling center field. It was the most inspirational thing. Well, when they had broken up and they were giving the guy a warning like they do in boxing, right? Well, they were coming over to me saying, hey, you ready? to? We're going to start back up. And I held my hand up saying, hold on a minute. But I couldn't hold up my finger because it was in this boxing glove because my uh, shoe had come off. And my ring guy, Scott Towns, shout out to Scott Towns from Oviedo, Florida. Scotty. Yeah. Was uh, putting my shoe back on, but it looked like I was telling the guy, I'm coming for you. And I was just <laughs> holding up my hand saying, hold on. Now I was pissed and I was ready to rock and roll. So, And then uh, Dad, in his video, was yelling, kick his ass, John. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, I we jumped back in. I hit the guy pretty square, and he got... He fell back into the ropes and got stuck in the ropes. And I hit him eight times while he was stuck in the ropes. <laughs> guy was like 300-pound guy, and I was like 225 at the time. And it, was, it was like 210 and up was the 210 pounds and up. So I hit the guy eight times, and he fell into the crowd. So then they gave me a warning, and then I ended up winning. So That's great fun. I've, I've seen that video. I got. I should put it on YouTube or something. Oh, it's classic, classic. <clears throat> but you are a true American badass, and you are an American war hero. You um, were in the, the Army, and you're a paratrooper jumping out of planes and shooting people. And um, you not only fought in Iraq, you fought in Afghanistan. Yeah, man. Well, I, didn't, I look at it as I didn't really do anything. I, any medals that you get, I look at it as uh, you get medals for like surviving. I, mean, I guess you get medals if you get blown up too. 
So any event, you get medals for. I, I call them thank you for showing up medals. Like in Vietnam, like they didn't, they, they kind of hassled people about getting a lot of awards. So they kind of learned their lesson from not taking care of the troops. So all of my troops, I put them in for uh, a medal for, you know, going to the war, whatever appropriate medal it would be. And then any activities during the war, I put them in for for stuff to take care of them because it's not that it doesn't cost, uh, you know, doesn't hurt anything uh, to give a guy a freaking medal. So any ones that I got, you know, whatever, I, I don't think it's any... I did anything, so... But I did survive, and none of my troops got blowed up. Thank you very much. Cool. That's a good thing to know. But it turns out your your greatest danger you were ever in in the military uh, was in Italy. It wasn't in Iraq, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was 1995, Italy. So tell the story. So what... Because um, there, there's the great story when I had this, the the late night talk show in Amsterdam, and you had gone home. You were had already fought in Iraq, and then you went home for, I don't know, three months, six months, and then you're on your way to Afghanistan, and you flew to Frankfurt, and you had a few days off to visit me in Amsterdam, and I rented a car. Yep. And Mercedes. Um, I got a the, the guy at the rent a car place knew me, and he liked the show, so he gave me a free upgrade to a a Mercedes. Um, sedan town car and I always heard that there was no speed limits in Germany so I'm like hauling ass to go pick you up uh, in the middle of the night and I drive through a, a city and foof, 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 all these lights would flash off apparently when you go through the towns you have to slow down yeah yeah when you see the number come up yeah you know it gives you a warning once you figure out the Autobahn thing. But I thought it was cool. And then you come over and I'm, I'm doing this, you know, and a lot of people in Amsterdam are kind of, you know, liberal, softy, um, socialist, anti-war people. And it was so funny. You're talking to my colleagues that I'm making the show with and they're like, so what do you do? And you would go, my job is jumping out of airplanes and killing people. And right now, business is good. I loved seeing these, these Dutch <laughs> people like shit in their They're pants. Like, what? And I had the haircut, and I was fully uh, buffed, muscle, yeah, military fully, guy, uh, fully fully involved with the uh, paratrooper lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was nice though, but it was fun. That was funny. I was trying to get a get a rise out of the libs. That's a fact, and uh, and it, it worked every time because most of them are skinny little uh, man woman looking dudes. So they they didn't uh, really put up much of a discussion. <laughs> you're like, hey, 120 pounds. You're the sound guy, huh? Cool. So well, let's talk about your military experience. Um, yeah, good times. Good, good times. times. Good times and bad times. Uh, Iraq, Afghanistan. Any thoughts on the the chess game? <laughs> the chess game. <laughs> uh, well. You know, I just think it's funny where everybody, or, or the liberals, I'm sorry, the pinko communists, um, are like, oh, the war's over, or we're never going to win, pull the troops out. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, hey, you know, we still got 50,000 troops in, in Germany, dude. World War 245. How come you're not protesting that? I mean, in the essence of all honesty, you should protest 33,000 troops in Korea 
all those Marines on Okinawa. I don't even know how many because I was not in the Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, and, and that, that war was in 53. Korea was and in 53. We still owned Puerto Rico and Guam. We, we took those in a war in 1898. We go to wars. We don't leave. Yet somehow, since Vietnam, uh, you know, when the, when the media is not on our side, um, you know, we, we've got to go take the country and, and leave. And, and there was thousands of guys killed in Germany after the end of the war in 1945. But you never hear about that because it was just part of, they had a radical culture, Nazis, and they weren't happy about getting taken over. They were fully committed to their cause, and uh, they didn't mind uh, trying to blow us up. So today they would be called insurgents. <coughs> and they would be called <coughs> insurgents. I think it's interesting. Uh, I went to Montana last summer, and I, I went to the Battle of Little Bighorn, and I read like three books on the Battle of Little Bighorn afterwards. And the Native Americans are constantly, ref- in old news reports of the time, yeah. were referred to as insurgents. It's a, yeah, it's funny. That's interesting. The same yeah. uh, terminology and things going on in this many years later in warfare. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Well, you know, the worst part is about being in Iraq where you or Afghanistan, either one, where you see people coming up and hugging you in the streets. And then you get back to the States and they're like, oh, my God, you know, those people hate us. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? But the the media people would uh, they're so anti-war. You know, and the, you know, if you talk to any journalism major, they're going to change the world, but they're change the world for their liberal views. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, they will search out an entire town. There'll be a, a pro America, pro thank you George Bush, thank you America. Guys running up to you with signs and thank you, thank you, giving you roses, just like you see in World War II video. But they'll they'll go through the whole town. Excuse me, and then look for the one pissed off guy and put him on camera. Hey, Ahmad, whoa, I know your uh, dad was the sheriff and now he's uh, not the sheriff anymore and you have no income. Uh, How do you feel about America? Instead of the hundred people that just walked up to the same journalist and said, Thank you, you're American? The guy says, No, I'm a journalist. You're like, Wow, dude, seriously, it's okay. You know, we have such guilt is my point. It just kills me. And, and, the, and the journalists are this gotcha people. You know, it can't be like the reality of it of, hey, you know, there's a lot of people that really like us over there. But you never see that. I've talked to a thousand civilians over here. And it's like, oh, my God, it was so horrible in the war. No, no, really not. No, you can see the bad guys. They stick out clearly. Most citizens of the world in any country simply want to go to work, take care of their family, maybe do their wife if she'll let them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the same shit, you know? And, um, you know, they, but you, you got this, you know, somehow, uh, you know, the media wants to skew it like they don't freaking, they don't like us. There's, there's, there's pockets in every group that don't like us. Don't you think the media is, is kind of split? I mean, don't you think no, you can... No, 
No. But like you got Fox and, no, and that's uh, not CNBC. Split. That's not. Split. It seems like you can no. see wherever the whatever these people's mm. biased is. No, that's Fox is not split either because they always have some fucking idiot liberal on there just to you know offset the conservative guy. You know, and, and MSNBC and CNN never have a conservative guy on there. They got like the half conservative guy going, yeah. You know, it's just really funny because <clears throat> you know it would be interesting to have a true conservative. You know, but Fox is the station of the of Republican the, Party, no, and that they're no, the biggest not. cheerleaders for they, the Republican they, Party. They're not cheerleaders. They they always got some asshole liberal on there. I'd love them to get rid of the liberals altogether and and be the the. I mean, it's the only thing you got as a conservative. It's the only thing that's even close. But still, you got the you know Alan Combs on there. You know, oh, let's do another program, really. And, and you know, I, I'm a Republican because I can add, okay? You know, every dollar that the government spends comes out of somebody's pocket, you moron, okay? So people have to produce stuff for you to take it out of their pocket and give it to someone else, okay? Government, unnecessary evil, but it should not be where, you know, you're penalized if you get uh, successful. You know, I mean... If you talk to these Eastern European people that that are here now, they're like, "Oh my God, you know what the fuck are you guys doing, man? We we've gone through this period where everybody tried to you know give everything to everybody. It doesn't freaking work. It's not communism because we're not communists, not necessarily socialists, but you got the government taking over businesses, you know, bailing them out. Like, which just all that means is it wipes off their freaking." Uh, their ledgers, so that they're not in the negative anymore. And then they come back out. Hey, we wrote off all our debt on the on the American people, and we're paying it. Liberals and conservatives are paying that debt, which makes no sense to me, boy. Because there's just too many fucking programs. And where does white guilt come into this? White guilt. We're just we're just uh, we're very guilty, Tom. We're guilty. <laughs> white man since seventeen sixteen hundred. I don't know when we went bad, Tom. <laughs> but it's really bad because you know I've been to all all around the world. I lived in Asia. I lived in Europe. Um, been been forty countries, man. We the, we do the same shit that other people do. You know, uh, a, uh, Asians. The the Chinese were trying to enslave the Koreans. Japanese were trying to enslave the Chinese, and and all these. You know, yet somehow because we. Uh, enslaved, you know, some some black folks, you know, and different tribes in in Africa would capture their the enemy and give them to the white dudes, and they never see them again. That's a brilliant military strategy. There, you know, you let them, you do a peace treaty. You're gonna have to fight them in five years. You know, you give them to these white guys, you never see them again. Hey, you're the, you're the king of West Africa. <coughs> I mean, there. You know, I'm just saying. I just find it interesting that we're the assholes, the white guys. But you know, like, but you know, Holland, the Dutch started the slave trade. They yeah. commissioned the ships from Spain uh, that brought the first waves of slaves to the United States, and then um, England did it also, but from a little further distance of yeah. of running sh- of uh, commissioning they, the ships. They outlawed it early, though. Just so, like, I mean, if you really hated 
slavery and the injustice that's been done to African Americans, uh, you should hate Dutch people. Yeah, you should hate Dutch like, people. Dutch uh, people. American white people are like yeah, are, we're, are the, falsely we're the guilty ones. ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, Martin Luther King registered Republican. Was he? Yeah. Congratulations. So, and and uh, I just think that's funny. His birthday is the day after mine. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if he was soft too. <laughs> so, what was your best experience in the military? You're, I mean, you obviously learned leadership skills. I mean, yeah, well, one, I mean, but also, I mean, like, I think you've always been. Yeah. Now I'm getting a little older. I see the John uh, advice differently, um, but it seems like you've always like can't really comprehend why doesn't everyone operate like the military? Like, why you can't people attack the day at 5.45 a.m.? Yeah, yeah, I, you know. And I, I'm like, you know, why can't we all sleep till noon? Yeah, it's a different lifestyle, <laughs> yeah. Again, coddled, slightly coddled in a tough household. Uh, slightly coddled, that's, you know. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's one of the interesting things you learn in the military is whether you have leadership. I think I, I joined partially because our dad was in the military when we were younger. We were on, you know, military bases and just, you know, helicopters. It looked sexy and, hey, I want to do that. And then um, I always wanted to be in the Army and, uh, you know, um, you get in there and you think, you know, I need some, uh, I need a swift kick in the ass. I need to learn leadership or whatever, or discipline. And then you get in, you're already signed up and you realize I got a lot of discipline. There's this kid from, uh, Nebraska, you know, straight off the farm. He doesn't know anything but milking cows, man. Wow. That kid or the inner city kid with the, you know, no structure, one parent, whatever, you know, wow, I got discipline coming to my ass, but then it's too late. They got you. You're there. You're not getting out. So the weaker guys, do you really like uh, <coughs> put bars of soap in your pillowcase and somebody holds it down? <laughs> yeah, there was the only other kid in my really? basic training. Because I've yeah. seen that in movies. It's oh, fucking yeah, pillow. Really, uh, what was that? Like somebody who keeps fucking up and yeah. keeps making the whole platoon like. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, the first month they do, you do your own push-ups and sit-ups and they yell at you. And then when that doesn't work, they say, oh, okay. Uh. This kid named Mayo... From Fort Lauderdale. I'll never forget it, man. The guy was such a hammerhead. We pulled pull him aside. What are you doing, man? Why? He's like, ah, fuck this drill sergeant. I'm like, dude, you joined the army. It's a volunteer. Nobody got drafted. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, so he, so we, uh, blanket party. That's what it's called. Blanket party. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Someone, two guys get a blanket, you know, and they put it over the kid and basically suffocate him and other hold him down. With a big wool blanket, so you can't see shit. And the other, like everybody else, puts a uh, a bar of soap or rocks or whatever the fuck you can find, and just whoop the shit out of this kid. We whooped the shit. I mean, like for like two hours. That kid, yeah, yeah, just whooped that kid. He, I'm just saying, you're already doing like obstacle courses and running, and and you're physically pushed to the limit. They break you and then build you back up. Right, we're in the middle of the breaking period, and this some bitch. Wants to make it harder. And so, oh my God, we killed that kid. We, and we didn't kill him, but, you know, he never gave us any trouble again, just like the Endurance Summer. It's kind of a reoccurring theme. Kind of a reoccurring theme. Kind of you know? I do remember coming to your, uh, your um, paratrooper school graduation. Where? What was Fort Sill, Oklahoma? No, that was uh, artillery. Yeah, yeah, I remember artillery. that. I remember that. 
<laughs> you and Dad. Because Chuck Bowman from high school, it was there, and I got to hang out with my buddy Chuck Bowman. Was he? I just saw Chuck recently. Yeah. And he reminded me of that. And you were, you had just gone through this, uh, the hell that he had gone through Ugh. in this training. Brutal. I remember yeah. the one thing I remember about that graduation was. You guys picked me up and we went to the hotel room. Oh, yeah, you were so glad to be like, just get, fucking away from them. Yeah, just get away from them, from telling you what to do. You like, just drive, just drive, just drive. Yeah, just, I remember you saying yeah, that. I just wanted to get away. They just, you know. And uh, we went in the hotel room and I said, excuse me, I'm going to go in the bathroom and shut the door. <laughs> and enough people have seen my penis. So that can, that maybe led to your John Rhodes penis joke. Because uh, so many guys had seen my penis. Wow. But, so, but there was a funny thing. There was a uh, homosexual gentleman that was in the training with us. Right? And you know. You couldn't ask and you couldn't tell. No, no. Back then. if, if back, It was before. Uh, oh, that. Well, that bullshit was. It was in the 80s. So, uh, yeah, you could ask and you could tell. If you're a faggot, you got kicked out. No offense to the faggots, but I call them faggots. Okay? <laughs> okay? Homeless. I got a faggot friend. I call him a faggot. And he, he busts my chops back. Hey, Fernando. Breeder. If, if you're listening. Breeder. Yeah. But yeah, so we were all uh, scrubbing the showers after the showers. and uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, making our beds. And, and you take uh, showers in groups of like 15 or whatever. But anyway, this guy... Uh, got a stiffy in the shower and you know coming from your baseball experience you're in the shower with a bunch of dudes it's impossible for a heterosexual man to get an erection sorry you can't do it yeah true it's, you're too uh you're I'm too, gonna I need to get it out of here as quick as possible yeah 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 you're not thinking oh hey yeah so the guy got a stiffy everyone comes running out of there what happened Smith's got a boner right damn it but here's the funny part so they said so if you got kicked out if you were a homo, right? So they, the drill sergeant said, hey, you ain't getting out of this. This is tough training. You're not just getting a free ticket out of here, bro. You'll be here longer than these guys. You know, because they, they want to make sure you're not just saying, hey, I'm a homo, I'm a pole smoker. I got to get out of here. These guys are making me do 100,000 push-ups, right? So they put him on answering the phone. For the rest of the, whatever, two months more of training. And the guy, each day, became progressively more homosexual. <laughs> it was so funny. He's like regular guy. United States Army. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But each day, and he's got his little curly hair. And he had Delta Company, first to the 19th Field Artillery, Private Smith, may I help you? Oh my god, it's just so funny because the guy was really pulling it off being a regular guy, and then uh, the homo thing came out. And why do they talk like that? Can you explain that to me? I have no explanation you've, for that. You've been all over the world too. Why do the homos act like girls, and why do homosexuals? I personally love really flamboyant, super gay guys. I think I, I think, think that, that kind of, like that kind of like really. Um, <laughs> I call it bitchy queer humor. I think is hilarious. Like when some like super gay, I just like yeah. starts ragging somebody about um, right their clothes or whatever. Um, but why do? Uh, but what are, what are some of the funniest things that 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 have ever happened to you? I remember when I played in Okinawa, there was a guy. I met all these Marines. I played in Okinawa twice, and I met these really cool guys, these Marines, and and they they kept calling this one guy Dander. Hey, Dander, they, you know, this is Dander. Yeah. And they go, do you know why we call him Dander? 
And you go, no. And you go, he had to make 12 signs that said danger. <laughs> the guy <laughs> misspelled 12 signs. D-A-N-D-E-R. Dander. Dander. So they called him Dander. Oh, no, there's so many stories. <laughs> there's like, so many stories like that. Every you get a nickname and it's done. You know, it was a chunky kid. We called him Cheeseburger. You know, it's over. Hey, Cheeseburger, and you don't, you don't become, you know, you don't. You don't be, get to vote on your nickname. You, you don't get to vote on your nickname, and the rest of your life, you're like 50 years later. It's hey, Cheeseburger, what's up? You know, or whatever. It was uh, one guy was called the House Mouse. Hey, House Mouse, get my flashlight, bitch. Yes, Drill Sergeant. Hey, House Mouse. You're like, wow. And I and they came running up to me, yelling at me so bad. And at the end, they said, hey, we go up to the bigger guys and try to break them first. Well, Dad, had, uh, just like I briefed you on the driver's license thing, Dad briefed me on the, on the military. He's like, dude, just do whatever they say. Immediately, don't hesitate, just do it, which is great advice. So any of you homos listening to this freaking thing that want to go into the military, do whatever they say. Immediately. You'll, you'll be okay. So the guy said, up, down, push-ups, don't, don't look at them. So I just did it, and, you know, uh, they were probably on me for a thir- good 30 minutes, which is a long time when you're getting messed with. But there was another guy, bigger guy my size, Named Murner. Who knows if Murner is listening to Tom Rhodes' podcast? I don't remember his first name. <laughs> Murner. But uh, Murner cried like a freaking baby. You're right. And they broke him. And, the, and then the rest of the guys were like, oh, that big guy's crying. So I think that's funny. The psychology of it. To break a big guy? Yeah. The break, they go right up to the big guys. Yeah, the economy is bad. But, you know, <clears throat> I found a way to make big dollars. Yes, I shouldn't tell you guys, but I'm feeling kind of close to you during this comedy show. Uh, yeah, I uh, I take uh, boxes that I get from grocery stores and I cut them up and I and I sell them to the homeless people for a dollar. Made a hundred thousand bucks so far to homeless people. It's big money, you know what I mean? Because you know it's all in the sign in the presentation. So uh, if a guy can get a nicely cut. Uh, out of work, please help sign going, shit man he's one step above the competition and I am here to provide high quality hunks of cardboard neatly written out of work vet we got all kinds Christians, please help down on my luck, hungry Hungry, that's the good one. But the guy, you gotta have a certain kind of guy that looks hungry. What are your favorite military movies or war movies? Uh, Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket's gotta be the the yeah. the, the basic training that first half. Yeah. Is the is the it's greatest. Just, it's really good because it's very real, except for the fact that there was one drill sergeant. In real life, there's three. And it's a twenty-four hour thing. Jesus! So one guy takes a break, and the other guy starts. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no way one guy could handle forty dudes. But for the movie's sake, uh, obviously you can't pay all these actors to be the main character or whatever. But there's three dudes, you know. And I, I remember uh, uh, our uh, he, there's a head drill sergeant and then two, whatever uh, regular drill sergeants. But the one guy was Spanish and. 
and uh, I thought the guy's name was Mita. Because Mita, like, Mita. listen, look yeah, here, yeah, look. look here, look here, right, right. I thought the guy's name Mita, was Mita, Mita. because because the the white drill sergeant who was the head guy kept yelling Mita, 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 and then <laughs> right, I was like, what the fuck, that guy's name is Mita, and then he, uh, you, if you put on the equipment wrong, he, he'd say, it ain't a goddamn bra, <laughs> hey, crap, it ain't a goddamn bra, <laughs> you're like, what. He's just making fun of me. And then there was the black guy, uh, a drill sergeant. I can't really enjoy chocolate as much as I did before being in the Army. Because he would say to you, uh, <clears throat> if you looked at him, you know, they call that skull fucking. I don't know if you... If you look you, at the If sergeant. you look at him, you can't look at him. So you're, you're at attention. You're supposed to look off into the distance. Even if they get in front of you and they try to get eye contact with you and you're supposed to... Look off into the, the distance and whatever. So if you look at him, actually engage. <laughs> he says, "What are you skull fucking me, boy? <laughs> you sweet on me, boy. You sweet on me, boy." And the black guy would say, "Hey, you want some chocolate? <laughs> you know." And you're just like, "Oh my god!" So ever since this experience, he said, "You want some chocolate?" And they never did it to me because Dad taught me how to look. Without, so you just gotta look. So look off into the distance like and look at his forehead. Like the sky. Yeah, or? no, not at the sky. You just gotta look and not focus on that fucker's eyes. It's real simple. You know, once you get it, you know, just look off and just you know, don't look him in the eye like a, you know, whatever. And so the black guy would go, "Hey, you sweet on me? You want some chocolate?" And he did this like four or five guys over the whatever training. He said, "Bend over." And, of course, the guy wouldn't bend over. He said, you sweet on me, you want some chocolate? Bend over, I'll give you some chocolate. I'll give you all kinds of chocolate. Motherfucker. And then the guy would not bend over. Then he'd go crazy. I'm the trail sergeant, you motherfucker. You are going to bend over, blah, 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 and just go crazy. Until, whatever, five, ten minutes until the guy finally bends over. He goes, what are you, a faggot? Stand up. <laughs> you couldn't win. So ever since then, I, I, I haven't. What was the story <coughs> about the best, do your best? Oh, see, I don't want to make fun of the African Americans <laughs> that much because they're good uh, people, and uh, you know, just the, the the you know sometimes they speak ebonics, and uh, and I was uh, I was assigned as a you know to a training base, and the sergeants used to take uh, take turns doing the graduation speeches at, at the different graduations and at a training base there's a graduation like every Friday you know what I'm saying and there'll be a group of 20-30 guys uh, gals graduating and the one uh, African American uh, lady went up there and, and I honestly I looked around I thought oh my god this is this is the inspirational speech that the lady gave and, I, and I'll give it to you it's about one minute long and it said and she goes I'm Sergeant Johnson and you're going to go out in the army. And I just got a little bit of advice for you. Do your best. <laughs> the best that you can do. Be the best. The best that you can be. <laughs> that was the speech. One minute. That's all you know. I looked around. I was like, man. I saw Patton. 
That's really, that's really all you There's have to do. There's been some good military <laughs> some speeches. It's all bad. There's been some good military speeches, but this is not one of them. Sergeant Johnson, oh. come on, we need a rewrite. You see that? I want you to remember that no bastard ever won war by dying for his country. You want it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. Men, all this stuff you've heard about America not wanting to fight, wanting to stay out of the war, is a lot of horse dung. Americans traditionally love to fight. All real Americans love the sting of battle. When you were kids, you all admired the champion marble shooter, the fastest runner, big league ball players, the toughest boxers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. I wouldn't give a hoot in hell for a man who lost and laughed. That's why Americans have never lost and we'll never lose a war because the very thought of losing is hateful to Americans. Now, an army is a team. It lives, eats, sleeps, fights as a team. This individuality stuff is a bunch of crap. The biggest bastards who wrote that stuff about individuality for the Saturday Evening Post don't know anything more about real battle than they do about fornicating. Now we have the finest food and equipment, the best spirit, and the best men in the world. You know, by God, I actually pity those poor bastards we're going up against. By God, I do. We're not just going to shoot the bastards. We're going to cut out their living guts and use them to grease the treads of our tanks. We're going to murder those lousy Hun bastards by the bushel. Now, some of you boys I know are wondering whether or not you'll chicken out under fire. Don't worry about it. I can assure you that you will all do your duty. The Nazis are the enemy. Wade into them. Spill their blood. Shoot them in the belly. When you put your hand into a bunch of goo that a moment before was your best friend's face, you'll know what to do. Now, there's another thing I want you to remember. I don't want to get any messages saying that we are holding our position. We're not holding anything. Let the Hun do that. We are advancing constantly, and we're not interested in holding on to anything except the enemy. We're going to hold on to him by the nose, and we're going to kick him in the ass. 
We're going to kick the hell out of him all the time, and we're going to go through him like crap through a goose. Now, there's one thing that you men will be able to say when you get back home, and you may thank God for it. Thirty years from now, when you're sitting around your fireside with your grandson on your knee, and he asks you, what did you do in the great World War II? You won't have to say, well, I shoveled shit in Louisiana. All right, now you sons of bitches, you know how I feel. Oh. I will be proud to lead you wonderful guys into battle anytime, anywhere. That's all. You were in you were in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and I mean, I've asked you before, but you know, yeah. did you kill anybody? No, we don't talk about that. Yeah, right. I, but I, mean, I think anybody would be listening. And go, oh, why, why didn't he fucking ask him that? Um, I know the answer. I don't know. I didn't look. That's what you always say. But, uh, but I, the, did, I think it's, I did take a uh, a helmet off a dead guy. You know really? why? Why he didn't need it anymore. <laughs> That's. <laughs> Well, I thought it was interesting. While I lived in Amsterdam, I dated an Iraqi girl for a little while. She was a Kurd, and when when she got we love the Kurds. She was she was well. See, but if a regular American that doesn't get the geopolitical situation over there was oh, you raped an Iraqi girl. Oh my gosh, was she a terrorist? Blah blah blah. Your your AK forty seven joke or whatever. And uh, but then I realized the Kurds totally on our side. They they killed so many of Saddam's people once we did the no-fly zone. They're, they're total American backers. So, yeah. So. so it's interesting that you you were in Iraq and Afghanistan, and um, that you, you the most danger you found yourself in was like in Italy, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Good I mean, I'm making it dramatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I love the story. I don't want I you did. to tell it. <clears throat> that was in uh, 95, right before Bosnia. We were in Italy getting ready for Bosnia, and... Um, there's, we had, uh, vehicles in Italy and we're getting them ready and, uh, we're winding down in the Dayton peace accords. Bill Clinton had, the uh, the warring factions in the Dayton, Dayton, Ohio. I don't know why, but I was in Italy, so I, I didn't, didn't figure out. Hawaii why. was booked. <laughs> right. I mean, he's like, come on, Bermuda. seriously, yeah. Dayton, let's go to Dayton and go to the Wright Brothers Museum and see how that, see if they can get them all inspired, but. The Air Force Museum is in Dayton. Yeah, yeah, the Air Force for flight. You know, you but, just, but but yeah, I think they did have the the accords in like an, a big airplane it, hangar. Yeah, it's like, come on, guys, can we figure out like a you know an all inclusive you know get the can Bahamas? We, can we at least get them to Cincinnati or Cleveland yeah. and <laughs> yeah. get some prostitutes maybe, for these? <laughs> right? Maybe see a ball game. Slobodan Milosevic. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a uh, fall of uh, two thousand five, I think. And um, so we had uh, got our vehicles ready, and we we're ready for the peace accords to be signed. And then we would go uh, from Italy. Some of the troops went from Romania, and we were scheduled to go from Italy to uh, Sarajevo. 
Uh, anyway, so the, the accords hadn't been signed yet, and there was a, we were getting down towards the end of uh, our preparation. Uh, let's just say it that way. And we uh, so we, we had uh, took some of the soldiers in over the weeks or the month or however long we were there to see the some of the sites, the Leaning Tower, Pisa, and other things. And then uh, I said to the my uh, commander. I said, hey, uh, sir, do you mind if we go uh, check out uh, some of the nightlife? Maybe some of the boys would want to go into town. Maybe me and Sergeant Molly would uh, want to go in and, and check it out. He was like the squad leader or something, and I was uh, uh, a senior lieutenant at the time. And and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys. Hey, he had this uh, rental car and um, for security, some rental car agencies in, in um, Europe. You don't just get the key, but they had some kind of, uh, like, two key or some kind of switch that you had to switch simultaneously while turning the switch. It was very complicated, and the commander showed showed it to me one time uh, when we got the car and drove over to the... Uh, the uh, downtown partying area. So we, we parked the thing, not thinking that we would, uh, you know, <clears throat> have to figure that out anytime soon. And we go and we had some dinner and we had a lovely restaurant. We thought, hey, the troops would like this dinner. It's nice. You know, Europe, they're, they're not in a hurry. Nobody's rushing you out of there. They, they tell you to drink more and relax. Nobody's trying to turn the table and get to the next uh, group. And then uh, we went off. We saw the, a couple of clubs, nightclubs, and one started kicking. I think it was, you know, 11 or 12, and we got to the nightclub, probably 11, and then about 12, you know, it's really packed, and we're drinking and kind of talking to people as best we can. And, you know, we got pretty haircuts, so they can tell we're not Italian uh, citizens, and that we're, uh, we're, we're at the nearby military facility, wink, wink. So they know, you know, we're not from there, but nobody's bothering us, and everybody's having a good time. There's, you know, they had their uh, their continuous would sound like the same song for two hours. The techno, the techno European beat, just the whole time. You're like, geez, guys. <coughs> so I think they changed the tempo for five minutes. Well, anyway, so we're in there, and then. Um, uh, we um, we saw this argument, you know, and basically this guy and it was in the we're in the back of the club. This is the interesting part: the back of the club, the entrance is up front. There's four or five hundred people. If there's if there's one, there's four hundred people in this big ass club. There's a front area with a bar and a seating area, and then a big area with discotheque with people all around, and there's a dance thing and. High top tables and just very, very nicely done uh, discotheque or whatever they called it. And, and this guy in the middle of this uh, disturbance reaches back and just slaps this girl and knocks her ass down, man. And I was like, oh, holy shit. I cannot believe that. And everyone's yelling in Italian. Um, don't speak Italian. I can order a beer and that's it. Posa Villa una birra, grazie. For those of you that want to learn something here on this. Say it again. Posa Villa una birra, grazie. I wanna, Can I possibly have a beer? I want to make that a ring. <coughs> for you. 
Can you say that one more time loud? Yeah, <laughs> You're like, wow, hey. Anyway, so, uh, well, I'm like, holy shit, he just hit her. I turned to Sergeant Molly. Well, Sergeant Molly had some other ideas. He was apparently a very chivalrous, chivalrous young man. And he didn't appreciate that Italian boy slapping down that Italian girl in the middle of the 200 Italian people in the back of the discotheque. So what does he do? He goes over and punches the guy. Isn't that great? Thanks, Sergeant Molly. Not that I wasn't feeling bad for the girl. I just wasn't ready to die for my country that particular moment. So, uh, obviously, the little Italian fellers were were a little upset with Sergeant Molly punching their buddy. And they started gathering around us, yelling and eventually pushing and they're yelling at me, but you know, I'm, I'm 250, 40, at this time, 240 pounds, uh, 6'1 or whatever. And, and so the Italian guys aren't really yelling at me that hard, <laughs> but, but there's a lot of them and they're getting aggressive. So there's 10 or 15 around me. There's a couple hundred around Sergeant Molly and they're yelling and they're pointing at him and they're kind of pushing him and he, he's point, pointing at the guy and pointing at the girl and trying to, you know, and they're all yelling. It is escalating into a, oh my God, I cannot believe uh, I'm about to get killed in Italy. You know, a, a solid ally <clears throat> of the United States of America. So I was just like, man, I didn't know what to do because it was just getting, uh, it was about to be a train wreck. So I, for some reason, I thought of this brilliant thing. Well, probably one of my most brilliant things ever. You know, you, even a even a broken clock's right twice a day is what I, what I like to say. So in this particular time, I, I was correct. And I I couldn't, I was thinking to myself, I could take about 10 of these guys, these little faggy looking Italian dudes. No offense to, you, to, to all you faggoty Italian dudes out there. Anyway, I'm thinking I could take about 10 of these guys before the other 50 going to get me. And then I'm going to get my ass tore up. I'm like, man. Ten, there's about, I was counting, there was a solid hundred dudes in the agitated state around us. Uh, and so I'm like, oh my God. So I came up with this brilliant plan. I jumped on top of Sergeant Molly and I dove on him and I got him in a headlock and I whispered, go with me, dude. And, and I yelled, ah, and I fake punched him. Like, I said, motherfucker, I fake punched him. I said, I got him. I got him. I got him. And I started easing us toward the door. I grabbed it like I had control of him. Like he was like out of control and about to punch another dude or something. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Kind of doing like this act. I eased our way to the door. I mean, it it had to have been 75 feet in in this, you know, big discotheque. I mean, yelling though, and they're kind of following us and yelling and motherfucking. I said, I got him. I got him. I got him. Giuseppe, I got him. Tony, I got him. Okay. You know, and I get there and we get out the door and we store shots. I go, let's go. And we started running. Running. We're like, oh, we pulled a fast one on that motherfucker's boy. Yeah, baby. So we get to the uh, uh, rental car. And I can't start the fucking thing because I, I couldn't remember. There was like some kind of switch or button or thing. And then the guys are kind of looking out and seeing like, 
hey, that guy doesn't really have that guy anymore in the headlock. Looks like they're running together. So there's like dudes forming at the door, like, you know, pitchforks and lanterns and shit. They're, they're getting their, uh, you know, search party together. And I was like, hey, Sergeant Molly, we are freaking about five, ten miles from the base. Bro, we're hoofing it. We're out. So he said, yeah, we can't. I, if you can't start this car, I sure, damn sure don't know how to start this car. So I locked the freaking car, and we ran. We're in tip-top military shape, and we ran, and them fuckers were chasing us. We were, and there was cars going up and down the highway. We were escaping and evading all the way back to the base. Wow. And we told the commander, hey, uh, we left the car out there. And, uh... <laughs> so did you ever stay in touch with Sergeant Molly? Uh, yeah, I saw him. He's a uh, guy fucking owes you. <laughs> yeah, he's, well, who knows? He probably, yeah, but he's uh, he became an officer. Yeah, he's uh, he was, I saw him at Fort Bragg. Good guy, Sergeant Miley. We've had some great world adventures together. Um, oh, wait, 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 but I want you to tell the story about Afghanistan, about the um, the uh, the, the boys are for fun and women are for. Babies, yeah. yeah. Well, there was a certain percentage of it. We, we found it interesting. This was Afghanistan, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all of them. Uh, all of the Middle East. They have a different culture there. Okay? Because women are simply not available. Just not available? Simply not available. You can't go to a bar and meet some girls. Because you can't go to a bar and meet some girls. They, you know, no, I guess even at, the, even at the mosque, the women are separate. So, yeah, you, separate. Can't, you can't even yeah. meet them at church. Yeah, you can't even meet them at a wedding. If you ever go to an Arab wedding, it's hilarious. The girls and boys come together for five minutes. It's like a boy party, five minutes together, back to the boy party. You're like, oh my God, seriously? Come on, guys. You guys need to lighten up. You know, you one of your jokes is, you know, need some more water parks over there. Yeah. You know? But uh, they need some girls. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. They need pussy. <laughs> they need some pussy. You know? Yeah, and, and, I think that the, the, um, uh, all of the tensions in the Middle East are because of deep semen backup syndrome. Oh, definitely. See, guys, I don't guys think... are not popping enough nuts. No, no, they're popping nuts. Just not with not with chicks. Wow. Yeah, and then uh, you ask them, "Hey, dude, you know, in America, we would consider you a homosexual." <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're trying to be nice. You don't want to upset the guys. Right. Know? He's like, what? You know, no, I'm just... What? No, I'm just practicing for when I get married. That's what most of them say. Wow. When I'm doing that dude, I'm practicing for when I get married. You're like, wow, really? <laughs> wow, that's something. But when you think about it, women are simply not available. They're in the house. Afghanistan. I mean, uh, Iraq is a little bit more progressive. Uh, obviously, Afghanistan's a... Uh, you know, one one uh, nine arm from the uh, Stone Ages. So, we're real close. Real close is what I'm saying. Real close. You know, uh, maybe a driver. One driver, a chipping wedge from the Stone Ages. But, but yeah, I mean, you know. My brother's in the Army. My brother's a career Army guy. You want to upset my brother? All you have to do is bring up gays in the military. He was ape shit. I want no fags looking at my dick. Yeah, I bet they're all joining up specifically to look at your dick. I bet it's an incentive down at the recruiting office right now. But they have posters everywhere that say, Join now and see John Rhodes' dick. I don't 
don't know how you feel about gays in the military, but I'll tell you one thing. If I'm in a war, watch my buddies die and get blown to pieces all day, I'm gonna need a hug. <laughs> Just hold me, man. Everyone was so mean. It's just amazing. So yeah, they. So we say, you know, some of them, I guess, are actual homosexuals, but but uh, most of them say, "I'm practicing for when I get married," or some of them say, uh, "Men are for fun, women are for babies." But I think the majority say, uh, "I'm practicing for when I get married." Like wow. Now in the military structure, they have a different deal. You said it was, yeah. You don't, yeah, the squad boy thing. You don't want to be, you want to work out before you join the, uh, any kind of Muslim military organization. (laughs) Because if you're the small one. Yeah, if you're the small one, yeah. So our uh, medics would have to treat these guys. And it was four or five different countries uh, from the Middle East and uh, Asia. And, and, uh, and I view Afghanistan as an Asia, Asian country. So there was four or five Muslim countries <clears throat> that had the, uh, the same problem, okay? They would have the guy who was the weakest and the youngest, he would get designated as the squad boy, and our medics would have to uh, talk to the commander and they'd say, okay, uh, Ahmad here is the squad boy. He's the squad boy because he's the weakest and he's the youngest. You know, so a squad boy should work out before you join the, any kind of Muslim military organization. Because you have to blow the rest of the dudes pretty much every day. Blow them. Blow them. Wow. Yeah. So our medics would uh, treat them and have to talk to the commanders and say, uh, Ahmad cannot physically ingest any more semen. So please, if you could have your boys lay off of him, and the commander would say, oh, here's the weakest and the youngest. Here's the squad boy. You're like, the inside of his stomach simply can't take anymore. Damn it. Okay, so if you think he got it bad, not it, as bad as it's that. not as bad as wow. the actual guy giving the chocolate over there in Afghanistan. Oh God, wow, what's that patent speech like? He's the weakest, and he's the youngest. <laughs> so he's the squad boy. He makes the morale of the rest of the people. Yeah, folks, I don't want to be racist, but I gotta say, why is it always the nerdy white kid goes in and shoots up a school? I mean, uh, back in my day, nerdy white kids became rich to get back at the people who made fun of them in high school. Thank God I was cool in high school. I don't want to shoot anybody. Any um, any epiphanies, uh, world truth visions you had while you were fighting these infamous wars? No, I, I, I think I touched on it a little bit. We're, we're just, everybody's the same, man. You just want to take care of your family, be left the fuck alone, and you'll do whatever you got to do to do that. So, um, so it's interesting. Like if you're in Afghanistan, there's uh, they have um, warlords. You got to hook up with a warlord because warlord gonna take care of you and your people. Now you may have to blow a couple guys. How know? do you become a warlord? You have to blow somebody. No, no, no. I think you're the, the, the you're the badass guy. Yeah, maybe. 
Warlord has got such a great ring right? to it. Warlord, right? Warlord. Yeah. Hey, the Warlord. Yeah, do you? Is that is that a, a do you bequeath that to your children? I don't know. <laughs> okay, I don't know. That's a good question. But I do think it, there's some lineage in that. But but you know, so the local warlord. So it's just like you know, the next town over. Every town's got a warlord. And if you get a job, like we would give the people jobs, and and the supervisor would take a hunk of that guy's dough, and the the supervisor of the supervisor would take a hunk of everybody's dough, and the warlord would get a hunk too. You know, and the poor guy actually doing the work made two dollars, but he was happy because family got taken care of. They had health care. There's a doctor in in the town, but whatever. They're still doing leeches and bleeding people and stuff. But hey, wow, really? No, I'm just kidding. Did you see any of the, um, <coughs> the the poppy fields? Yes, you did. Yeah, there was. Is uh, it true that like just heroin production has just gone crazy since the war started? Well, that's no. how they buy their weapons, right? No, it's not true. We we help. Uh, one of the reasons why some of the guys try to blow us up is because we eradicate that shit. They're like, hey, but they're like, hey, you need to pay us for our crops if we're not going to grow them, right? Right, so so if you would get a poppy field that's like a set up like a regular farm, and you get whatever ten, fifty, hundred acres, whatever it is, and you would yield whatever many poppies, you would get you know instead instead of if you did a regular, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but so some some nerd ass motherfucker, don't don't correct me later, but uh, <laughs> sorry nerdy, um, you know you might get five hundred dollars an acre. For regular uh, crops, and then they'd want you know ten thousand or twenty thousand an acre for the poppies. Obviously, it's a higher yield, and you know we wouldn't give it to them. And you know maybe a couple guys. Helpful hint number seventy-two, and this one's for all you apartment rental managers out there. Here, before you rent an apartment to anyone who lives. Not on the first floor. They must take a heavy walker test. All heavy walkers will be placed on the first floor. Oop! Sorry, sir. You walk too heavy. You'll disturb all of your neighbors. You're going to be on the first floor. Oh, sorry. You can't be on the second floor because someone would not be able to live effectively below your heavy walking ass. Thank you very much for taking the test. That'll be an extra $20 per month because you're... A heavy walker. So John Rhodes, motivational um, speaker, uh, life lesson ass kicker. What other advice would you give to um, entertainment divas? <laughs> Stop being such a big fucking pansy. Come on, man, toughen up, Sally. One of the what are some of the things you said to me uh, through the? You always say. Uh, Hey, uh, you need to go to Kmart. I heard they're having a sale on spines. Yeah, that was a good one. I like that. That's a good one. And then, uh, put your purse down, Alice. Yeah, that was a good one. Put your purse down, Alice. Put your purse down before Uh, you But I think the all-time classic thing that you've always said to me is, um, suck it up, pussy. Classic. Which I think is classic Big Brother advice. Suck it up, pussy. Suck it up, pussy. Well, here's the thing. Like I said in the beginning... I'm a Tom Rhodes fan. There's no bigger Tom Rhodes fan. No one has seen Tom Rhodes in concert more than me. I've driven hundreds, if not thousands of miles, flew to Amsterdam to see Tom Rhodes' ass in concert. Okay? I'm not going to freaking tinkle your balls just and tell you 57 times in a row how great you are, but 
25 years of brilliance, man. And so I believe in you. I wish you would believe in you more. And I think it's applicable to all the all the uh, comedians out there. You know, fucking, you know, especially 25 years of brilliance. You, you should believe in you more. You've had a TV show. Uh, you know, the inside politics bullshit didn't renew the thing because Jeff fucking Foxworthy got brought over for bigger money and they couldn't admit that, uh, you know, you, you were better than Jeff Foxworthy, so they had to cancel both of you. Who gives a fuck, you know? Just, uh, you know, get back on the horse and let's roll, man. You know, and, and you've been uh, grinding and out, but, you know, I just think it's funny. You know, it's just, you know, like the, the, the white guilt, America's guilt, you know, America's been so bad over, you know, especially the, so, you know, I think you, the, your liberalness permeates through the way you do shit, that you need to get over that. You don't have to be necessarily a, a conservative, but you got to freaking be more conservative because you think about this, when people get older, they get more conservative. Why is that? Because they get wiser and they fucking get it. And they don't and they don't want to put up with bullshit. It's like a you go out with a, a girl over thirty or 40, thirty-five. They don't put up with your bullshit. Get it? They're like, hey, you know, I want to bang you and I want you to keep this pussy. You know what I'm saying? That's it. You know, it's not you're not giving it away for free anymore, lady, the ladies or whatever. But the point is, you know. Uh, so as you, you know, feel guilt, guilty about, you know, America and the, and the wealth, yet you guys are all trying to get the next show and be the next, uh, Seinfeld make fuck you money. So it's just like, you know, you make fun of the money and the guilt of it all, yet you want that money to say fuck you. It just doesn't make sense to me. Admit that you want the fucking money. You want the next goddamn show. And fucking go for it. Instead of saying, oh, you know, I want to be the, you know, on the road the rest of my fucking life. No, dude. You don't want to be on the road the rest of your life. You want to you wanna pick and choose your fucking boxing matches. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so that's my advice for you and pussy-ass comedians that are listening to this fucking thing. That I'm going to punch in the forehead next time I see them. <laughs> and I don't even know which one you're listening just because I feel like it, because I was angry. So quit being so liberal, well, and well, you gotta uh, be, be conservative, admit you want the money, and grab it. Not grab it, not like some fucking thief, just go for Earn it. Earn it, yeah. Go for it. You got the fucking talent. And some other dickweed listening to this thing's got the talent too. Go for it. There's plenty of room for plenty of shows. Tom <clears> Rhodes <throat> gets a show that doesn't knock freaking Jimmy Smith or whoever the fuck off the... The planet, there's like 8,000 cable, people are famous off of cable now, you know, I mean, the stupid channel that nobody ever heard of, it doesn't have to be, you know, the Mike and Molly thing, like like your boy, you know. Billy Gardell. Good guy, very nice. Did you see that astronaut that uh, went and confronted the other astronaut at an airport parking lot, just got sentenced the other day. Remember that story a couple years ago? Lisa Novak? She's like uh, getting discharged from the Navy. She's a freaking astronaut. I mean, like one one hundredth of one percent of 310 million people get to become an astronaut. And this lady goes wild. Everyone talks about the crazy lady. 
But what about the dude? Seriously, the dude was banging two astronaut ladies, and we've never even heard his name. And by the way, he was apparently doing it really well because a lady drove across the country in a diaper just to get a knife at the other lady. What a stud. He's not only an astronaut, but he knows how to fuck well. That's some bullshit there. What have been some of your favorite Tom Rhodes moments? What have, what have, what have been some of your favorite Tom Rhodes jokes? Uh, I, I, and do, you, do you like when I make fun of you? Like people ask me about and they go, oh my god, he loves it when he's in the act. Normally you like when I make fun of you. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because it's a it's an exaggeration. It's an exaggerated of, character. Yeah, like when I used yeah. to, when I would talk about dad too. It was, well, it's funny, you know, you, when you talk about, you know, I don't want no fags in the military. It's true. It it, it does. <laughs> it honestly, it makes people feel uncomfortable. And people uh, we're so politically correct. We don't know how, what to do with the homos. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, dudes, we don't know what to do with you. Okay, so. So, uh, it w- does make people feel uncomfortable, especially, you don't understand the level of, of education that some of the people, there's some brilliant war heroes and wonderful people, L- large percentage are amazing people, but there are some dumbasses in the military. Everyone thinks, oh, you were in the army, he gives you instant credit. But there's some dumbasses in there that simply, you know, putting on their freaking shoes is a great accomplishment, you know? Two and two, and coming up with four is great. So, you know, you have to be able to accommodate for every level of intellect uh, in the military. So, when you say, hey, we're going to put some homos, and there, there's, there's a lot of people that don't want no goddamn homos, okay? There's some people from whatever big city that can handle it, that have been around uh, diversity in their life, and maybe the melting pot of the army is the place to experiment for our society. Maybe. But the point is, uh, it makes people feel uncomfortable. So when you say, you know, hey, the army, you, you know, uh, people uh, join the army to see John Rhodes' dick, that's funny. Funny. That's some funny ass shit, okay? Because if the homos would actually see my dick, they'd probably join the <laughs> army for it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, homos, you ain't gonna see it. That's hilarious. But didn't the American army during the <coughs> Iraq war, weren't we developing a gay bomb that would make the opposing army, like, uh, queer out on each other? <laughs> what in the Ameri- no, that, that was in the media. That was in, like, newspapers. Is that a joke? No, the United States yeah, army was built first, working on, like, some first of all, ecstasy love bomb that would make okay. the other... First of all, okay, if we go over our previous part of this podcast... The boys are banging each other in the ass mm-hmm. because they're practicing for when they get married and they have a squad boy that blows everybody in the squad. Okay? <laughs> you can't get any more queer than the Iraqi army. No offense. Okay? <laughs> uh, but, but they don't say they're queer. They're practicing for when they get married. Okay? And they're just relieving a little <laughs> yeah, That guy gets a medal yeah. and J- everybody's yeah, happy. Yeah. Jaleel... <laughs> Blew everybody, and the medic has to go over and say, Hey, Commander, Jaleel cannot ingest any more sperm. So, uh, the fag bomb, I don't think that it was necessary. It's not necessary because that fucker already <coughs> exploded on the Iraqi army. Congratulations. <laughs> I like the World Cup, I like soccer. Not because of the game, I like American football, it's much more exciting, but the fans. And soccer are much more exciting. There's there's groups of dudes that can't even go to entire entire countries because they're such out of control fans. 
Some fans in England have to turn in their passport when the national team leaves the country just to ensure they won't leave the country and be hooligans. I went to a soccer match in South America, and you can't just go see a soccer match. You have to choose sides. They separate the sides by giant steel walls so there isn't a freaking riot. It's out of control, man. Add on the Vuvuzelas and you just got some crazy shit going on, man. I can't believe, uh, you know, America keeps, you know, getting screwed over on these calls. But can you imagine the referees from some country that's, you know, sworn enemies of America and he's supposed to give America a fair shake? That's why soccer is never going to be big in America. You know, we're not going to get a fair shake when it's up to the uh, the Malawian freaking referee who, you know, hates America and, uh, you know, gets to decide and doesn't have to say who he called a uh, penalty on. And seriously, the Olympics, everybody uses replay. Can we get... You know, a replay of whether it's a fucking goal or not. You got a guy 50 yards away trying to see if it's a goal. Seriously? Anyway, that's my soccer thing. When I first went to Amsterdam, they were having a gay Olympics. And you said, what kind of event do they have at the gay Olympics? <laughs> Eating the donut off the dick contest. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> You've had some great adventures. You've traveled the world. Um... But let's talk about the time that you and I went to Argentina and you saved me from a soccer riot. Oh, that was a good one. It had always been, uh, I'd always dreamed of going back to Argentina or going to Argentina, where our mother is from. And you and I went down there together. I thought that was one of the coolest brother, brother moments of our lifetime. Right. And just to set up for the podcast listeners out there, Tom is not a Spanish speaker. Okay, and I took six years of Spanish, which, you carried us on which allowed me to speak about 25% of Spanish, which is what I, my estimate, right? But I did tell our cousins that Tom were, wore women's underwear, and he was slightly effeminate, and then they would talk to Tom and ask him if that was true, and, he, and what he did was smile and shake his head yes at everything. I just had a really good time with that one. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucker. Yeah, I know, so. Like, telling him. <laughs> All kinds of shit about me. It was great. But, you know, their view of Americans was they took us to the transvestite area of town. Do you remember that? This oh, my is, God. Yeah. Every yeah, time the one They're like, transvestites, transvestites. We're like, this is what reality TV has done for our image? Uh, America's image? No, I thought it was a weird thing about their culture that they were showing off. That we have these transvestites. You think yeah, but, that- well, I'm just saying, why would you bring us... To the transvestites, we, they, they weren't trying to pull up and get one. They were right. just, they were just laughing. Hey, transvestites, transvestites. Were, were they thinking that's funny, or were they, you know, why didn't they take us to the hooker area or a, you know, whatever? You know, it was just funny that they mm-hmm. they took us to that. Uh, yeah, and there's this big park in Buenos Aires where you drive through there, and it's uh, oh, some of those man ladies were hot. They were beautiful. Yeah. I was like, damn. She, he looks great. But yeah, why did they think we wanted to see that shit? <laughs> that was funny. Some of the best tits I've ever seen was on a dude in Argentina. <laughs> Remember that? Like, so our cousin so Fernando takes us to, he, he likes River Plate. And we go to see River Plate play Kilmus, which Kilmus is like this factory town, like 20, 25 miles outside of Buenos Aires. Kilmus 
is the name of the Budweiser. The most famous beer. It's the, the Budweiser, Budweiser of Argentina. Quilemes. Uh, El Sabor Delincuentro. Something like that is their commercial. Um, you're right, I can't speak Spanish. <laughs> so we go and it's the, the visitors enter separately from the home fans and it's blocked off and there's like razor wire all around the, the, the pitch, the field. And Oh, you had to make a decision. Remember that? When you were going up, this is interesting, South American soccer, and I heard it's the same in Europe, you can't just go to a game. You have to decide which side you sit with. Remember that? And the sides are separated by, they don't, you, like in America, you can just walk around the stadium, you, right. can, you can pick a fight with the opposing team, or whatever. No, there, you pick a side, and you go to that side, and razor wire and a 20-foot steel wall separated the two sides. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And <clears throat> it was pretty exciting. The, the River Plate's beating the shit out of them. The, uh, the Kilmus team looked like a high school squad. 3 nothing. Brand new stadium in Kilmus. Really? That yeah. old shitty? Like no, a high school stadium. No, it was cement. It was cement. It was cement. terrible. Really? Cement it was brand new. new. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So when we, when, we, when we enter the town, there's all these riot police with shotguns and... Um, and clubs looking at you like, please give me a reason so I can crack your skull. And so they're they're losing like. But three. in Argentina, we look Argentine. Yeah, yeah, that's which the great is kind of cool. That yeah, was really cool. Yeah, to go to Argentina and look like everybody there. Yeah, because really really like with the last name Rhodes, you just don't feel Spanish or anything. And then you get down there, and dudes would walk up to me and ask directions in Spanish, and I was like, wow, that's really. I'm a light skinned Latin person. Yeah, I'm not a white guy. Yeah, we're halfway, you bastards. You bastards. So, uh, the the home fans are, you know, and it wasn't barbed wire surrounding the field. It was razor wire. If you yeah, touched it, your, yep. your, your hands would be shredded. And <clears throat> the hometown fans are so pissed off uh, at their team's poor f- performance, they set, all of a sudden, the other side of the stadium is on fire. And then these lunatics try and climb the razor wire. Mm-hmm. And the riot police go out there with the clubs, and they're like beating people off the the razor wire. It's about five minutes left in the game. And meanwhile, the other side of the stadium is on fire. <laughs> and but the but the, the pe- River Plate people that we were in were jumping up and down and and saying, "You'll always be second. You are in the second league. You're in the second you league. You'll always, always be, be in the, the second, second league. league." And then they hate. The, the Boca Juniors so much, even while taunting this Kilmas team, at the end of every t- uh, chant, they yelled, Boca puta, Boca puta. <laughs> Bo- Boca's a whore, Boca's a whore, Boca's a whore. <laughs> That's some shit. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, I was like, wow. So, uh, <coughs> they canceled the match with like five minutes left to go. Three nothing. Three nothing, and they kicked out the the hometown, the Kilmas fans first. No, and we're they waiting. locked us in. And we had to wait like an hour before yeah. they let us out they, because they these didn't. Giant twenty foot steel entrance doors, boom, and like it was probably one third, two thirds, probably what ten, fifteen thousand River Plate fans. And yeah. And like 30, 35 on the other and side. And they, they didn't want street clashes, so they would yeah. made us wait for a long yeah. time. Yeah, so these guys are like forming at this giant door, drunken soccer fans just pounding on the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a school night, and all these people have to get back to Buenos Aires and work the next day. What did I tell you? 
We was about to get into some shit. We about to get into some shit here, boy. <laughs> and they shot uh, tear gas tear canisters gas. over yep. the wall into yep. into the... And it was really this tense animal moment where, like, holy fuck, this is where people get trampled to death. Trampled to death and beat with giant clubs. And I said, Tom, stick with me, dude. We're going to be all right. You said, stick with me and keep your head down. Act like you know where you're going. Okay, stick with me. We will get out of here. Don't panic. That's the only thing you can't. It was awesome. That was the closest I've ever been to being in a war zone. It was awesome. And here come these tear gas canisters, and the uh, the Argentinian people are like obviously used to having tear gas shot at them because they just like picked it up and threw it back over the wall. But the, but we but it was like the surging crowd. I had yeah, it was those. And knew that, and the cops were coming in. Uh, it was it was pretty tense and frightening. Yeah, when they, when they and you like put your you put your arm around me and you friggin' got me out of there like uh, uh, the heroic older brother that you are. It was really beautiful. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. I was like, hey, now we're in my element. Let's roll. It was it was one of my greatest. Well, one of the greatest memories ever. Being with, and even though you told them that I was like um, some. Afghanistan squad <laughs> fucking you didn't know that sperm swallower <laughs> you our didn't know family that even though you told our family that oh my god I still enjoyed our trip down I, there together I, I told them you wore women's clothing <laughs> they found it to be quite interesting isn't he um isn't he a comedian no now what about Argentina it's the one of the most prestigious jobs there is mime Remember that? Our cousin is yeah, a mime. Our cousin wanted to be a mime. He's been studying. He's like, well, he's a, like a circus performer. No, but he's like a carpenter. You know, he was yeah. like an actual tradesman. And he wanted to, you know, move up in the echelon of society and freaking become a mime. <laughs> and, and a circus performer. And, uh, and he had his stuff in a trailer and it all got stolen. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was? Yeah, he was heartbroken. <coughs> and two steak dinners, appetizer, coffee, uh, two bottles of wine, dessert for like four people is like thirty bucks, right? Remember? I can't wait to go back to Argentina. It's the yeah. one place where the American dollar is still really strong. Yeah, we ate Dominant. it like. Uh, Ooh, I'm sorry, not the one. But let me correct you. There's about three or four countries in the world that don't have their own currency because it's so shitty. They use the U.S. dollar. Okay. Yeah, I was in Cambodia. Yeah. It was like that. Cambodia, Cambodia. Was, uh, was... Ecuador. All American stuff. Yeah. So, when you say one of the places, I just need to correct you. America, we're number one for a reason. We ain't speaking French, sonny boy. We're speaking English. We. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 20 bucks and we uh, we bought the kid. We bought the kid his... Uh, well, it was 100 bucks. You, you asked him, you said, what would it cost? He had gotten everything stolen, all of his equipment. And he, he said, oh, the... The the amount is it's insurmountable. It's I can't even tell you. And you're like, no, no. How much would it be? No, no, really. How much? Replace all this stuff. Come on, dude. And it turned out to be like a hundred bucks. And you and I were like, oh, let's split that. And I I threw in like fifty, and you threw in fifty, and then to talk about feeling like a big shot high roller, huh? Yeah. You're like, hey, I can I can crank off fifty bucks. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. I loved it down there. And then I took mom back like a year later and I did the tango in Buenos Aires on my 40th birthday. Yes. Mm, you're over 40. You don't look over 40. Well, thanks, John. It's um, Maybe the bald spot gives it away. 
<laughs> I am selling my bald spot for advertising space, so if you would like to see your corporate logo on the back of my head. See Tom after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Any more uh, tips on uh, excellence and leadership? And... No, I just... What's wrong with people? Why can't... Why, why do you think people are... Uh, don't achieve their dreams so often? Because they give up and they run away, man. You gotta keep keep plugging, but... You know, I always laugh at, at, at some of the disappointments in life that, you know, you and I, you know, I'm not perfect. You, I've made more mistakes than you probably, but but it's funny, uh, you know, hearing your story about different uh, relationships that, you know, had a train wreck or whatever. I always laugh. You know, you need to be thankful about uh, you know, some, some of those things. Like you came back to me one time. You said, hey, man, I was really looking forward to this, you know hooking up with this girl she was everything you know seemed to check out and every she was hot and i was meeting up with her and blah 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 friend fixed us up and you know man we just we just didn't click and i'm thinking to myself man you need to jump down on your knees and start thanking the lord for that one sonny boy the the fact that you didn't have a a giant train wreck of a breakup slash paying child support for 18 years before you learn that she was a dumbass bitch. Yeah, you said that's a W and that's a, that's in the win column. <laughs> yeah, you you know, didn't get hooked up with this dumb whore. Right? You know, you're just yeah, like, come on, dude. Appreciate the W's, man. <laughs> you know? And you're like, oh, I was all broken up. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? You know how many dudes get hooked up with hot chicks and fucking you're, you're, you're knee deep in it before you figure out that she's crazy? Right. Not that they're not all crazy. You just need to get one that's a little less crazy. Or they're all crazy. You just need one that's manageably crazy. <laughs> I like to say your type of crazy. Right? It's the, it's the one that's crazy like you like it. So You're doing great, John. And um, you're one of my heroes <clears throat> in life, man. So do you have any words of wisdom or advice you'd like to give to the people of the world? Uh, no, stop being such a bunch of pussies, you know? That's your advice to the world. Is yeah, stop, stop being, being a bunch, a bunch of, pussies. of fucking pussies. Okay, <laughs> this politically correct bullshit. You know, it's just the most amazing thing. I'm sorry. It's the truth. That's why comedians just raking in the dollars, man. Because you guys are up there telling the truth. Mm. You know, or parts of it that are funny. So, if we weren't a bunch of pussies. Maybe there wouldn't be no comedy clubs. Everybody would know <laughs> that midget tossing is funny. Sorry. It is. <laughs> I feel bad for the little fellas. They're bringing it back in Florida. You can't have a law unless you got a problem. Just remember that. That's classic. But, uh, anyway. All right, John. <clears throat> well, um, I love you, man. Before we wrap it up, do you have any more advice for me you'd like to uh, have recorded forever and ever? No, man. No, no, no. You're. I mean, you, you, I think you you got it, man. You got it. Twenty five years of brilliance, man. There's the, you you are in the books, recorded twenty five years of brilliance. You got nobody to be, uh, cowtown to. You, there's no comedian that's done more road gigs for a longer period of time. The rest of the pussies get off the fucking train and and take a morning radio show. Mm-hmm. Okay, not that if you take one, you're a pussy, but I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, I know you're saying. You know, hey, I just can't do it, and and they, you know, you you've you've done it. So, you know, I I, uh, 
wish you all the success in the world and you know just stomp the fucking world in the head bro thanks Johnny well I know that you think that it's, it's skull will crack open trust me I know uh, you think I've been soft at times but certainly I've never given up and I've always really toughed it out and um, you know I, I think a lot of that is attributed to you being my older brother and me you know taking your advice and being a pussy and sucking it up. Yes. So I, I, I thank you for all your guidance and the fact that, you know, I never gave up. And I'm still out there fucking swinging. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And it's not for naught either. Because people, you know, I really enjoyed uh, going to L.A. with you and seeing uh, those entertainment uh, people out there. You know, just give you a little love. They weren't, you know, they just gave you a little love, you know, just a little respect. You know, that was beautiful. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed uh, enjoyed your TV show when you had the Mr. Road show. Or me and Dad were front and center at the freaking uh, the pilot. The pilot. We we're big shots. They ushered us into the front middle. That was. <laughs> I love and respect you, and thanks for being uh, my cool older brother. Love you, man. Stop being a pussy. Suck it up, pussy. Suck it up. Tired of your shit already. J-Bone, J-Bone, giving you a call. Uh, now that the dust is settled from the funeral and everything, I kind of realized, you know, the boys over there at the, uh, what you call it, at the funeral, uh, not, they ran over to you and was saying, I was saying some kind of faggot shit, and, uh, I was just kidding around, and so I'm sorry about that there, big boy. Uh, I sure wish those guys wouldn't run over to Tom and say, hey, Joe's calling you names when I was just joking around. 